for a lot of people who hear the word protein, they think about a hunk of flesh that came out of a once living animal's yeah, body. Why do 90% of Beyond Meat's customers also eat meat? How do we move? Grasshopper it? price called Jarad is $3,300 per kilogram. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! from Silicon Valley, the most innovative spot on earth. Corporate, the place for corporate executives that transforms innovative threats into business opportunities. And now, let's get ready to rumble with the host, Tommaso. And we are live. Awesome. Thank you, panelists, for being here at our virtual coffee. Well, Tomaso, what's a virtual coffee? Literally, I, I love to kick off things virtually together with a coffee, right? So let me take a zip. And at the end of the day, the mission of, of our virtual coffee is, you know, we have a curated, a handpicked panel of industry fellows, and I will introduce them in a second, that discuss how to future-proof traditional markets. Today, we have our season two and the second episode of, uh, of our virtual coffee, where we are focused completely on alternative protein. And I want to take the chance here for Christopher Kong, co-founder and head of business development at Better, Better Nature, which is the world's first uh, food tech company focused on tempeh fermentation to create delicious nutrition and clean label meat alternatives. Well, Christopher, thanks for joining again. And it's a pleasure to have you this time on our virtual coffee. And then we have Dror, uh, Dror Tamir. I hope uh, Dror, I pronounced your name correctly. Serial entrepreneur, co-founder and CEO at Hargo, which is the global first grasshopper farm on a commercial scale. Well, this is not just a, a, an accent I have. I, I did say grasshopper farm on, a, on scale. So, so I'm really curious to dig, to dig into, into this topic, Adora, and it's a pleasure to have you here. And then we have Paul Shapiro. And we have been getting already some, some tweets and saying, you know, a lot of people know you, Paul, so it's a pleasure to meet you first time here. Entrepreneur, speaker, and author of a national bestseller, which is Clean Meat, and the subtitle is How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. Also, uh, Paul is CEO of Better Meat and four-time TEDx speaker and host of the Business of Business for Good podcast. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much one more time. I'm really excited. Well, let's kick off things with, uh, with the topic on alternative protein. Alternative protein is not just a trend, but it's a demand from the market. Things are moving kind of slowly from two directions. We see on one hand, a bunch of startups that are creating really innovation in alternative protein. On the other hand, we have corporations that are uh, diving and, and jumping into this, this new demand that has been created uh, from uh, from the market really and and we don't see only here a functional replacement for meat and diary but we also see here a really innovation and labs around taste texture aroma 
um, which basically is really reshaping what we understand under traditional foods. I would like to kick off things, Paul, and picking your brain and sharing some thoughts on the following here, a perspective that you, um, that you have on, well, what is the future like? What holds the future in terms of innovation and benefits when we talk about alternative proteins, Paul? Thanks, Tommaso. And I think, you know, if you think about the protein market right now, for a lot of people who hear the word protein, they think about a hunk of flesh that came out of a once living animal's body. But to answer your question directly in the future, I think people are gonna have a far more diverse definition of protein. They're gonna think about proteins, sure, from animals, but also they're gonna think about proteins coming from plants proteins coming from microbes. Uh, there'll be protein coming from insects if Drawer has his way here as well. But we're also gonna have blends and hybridization of proteins so that you'll see some proteins that are plant proteins combined with animal proteins to make hybrid products that are better than the original animal product was. Uh, that's what we focus on at the Better Meat Co. We make plant protein ingredients that we sell to meat companies for them to blend directly into their animal proteins so they can have better proteins than if they're only coming from animals. And I think that many of the traditional foods that have been protein for people in other parts of the world that where, for example, in, uh, in parts of Asia, like tofu and tempeh, uh, are also going to become more popular. That we've seen an explosion in plant-based meat like meats that are designed to taste like uh, plants that are designed to taste like meat, but I think there will also be a popularity in products that people have eaten for thousands of years in Indonesia, like tempeh, or in, in China, like tofu. I think those will become more popular in the West as well. Well, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's really, really interesting what, what the movements are and where, where it's going, right? I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it's green field for a lot of players. Chris, Beyond Meats and Impossible Fooder, with, with no doubt, are, are one of the key players, at least from a, from a branding perspective, from a marketing perspective, you know, there is a lot of buzz around that, right? What do you see in terms of opportunities and challenges ahead of time regarding the plant-based alternative proteins? What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's no doubt that Impossible and Beyond have done a fantastic job in really making uh, the plant-based food industry super sexy. But there are still considerable challenges in terms of getting the market to truly adopt these foods as a staple into a diet. If we look at beyond, you know, they're, they're very proud of saying that 90% of their consumers also add meat products to their basket. But why is that the case? You know, why do 90% of Beyond Meat's customers also eat meat? How do we move the needle towards um, to a point such that the people that eat Beyond don't necessarily eat any more animal-based products? you know, for, for the betterment of not only our personal health, but also the environment and animal welfare. So I think that's a considerable challenge. And, you know, what we do at Better Nature is that we create clean label plant-based meat alternatives made using tempeh fermentation. And our, well, my hypothesis is that the way in which we will get people to adopt these foods as a staple is to make them as clean and as simple as possible. And this isn't, you know, I, I don't mean to sort of poo-poo on Impossible and Beyond, I think they've done a fantastic job. But um, in, in, in trying to emulate the sensory profile of meat as closely as they have, they've had to make compromises in perhaps the number of ingredients that they use and what types of ingredients they use as well. Uh, what, so what we're doing at Bed Nature is trying to create clean label uh, meat-free products that can be consumed as a staple because they contain ingredients 
there are just, you know, that, that anyone would recognize and not just the food scientist. So I think that's one considerable challenge. How do we get, how do we emulate that same sensory profile and that same experience in a way that is super clean, in a way that consumers can adopt as a staple and eat day in, day out without feeling guilty? Because let's not forget that the number one motivator for the adoption of plant-based foods is health. It's not animal welfare. It's not, you know, it's it's health. So um, we need to definitely tackle that first. And and just to double down on that, um, I think it's interesting. You were saying, you know, clean versus, you're not saying not clean, but more complex, right? Is this this a, a, how are you measuring the demand, right? You are still a startup, uh, right? How are you measuring the demand of, hey, we want it more clean? What's just just to extend on, on this thought process? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very difficult for us to get very, you know, from, you know, key data uh, from our customers. But if we look at, for example, the Mintel's report, Mintel's, you know, the, the alternative protein report that they published in 2017, in that report, they said that 41% of consumers who were consuming plant-based meat alternatives were looking for cleaner alternatives, for alternatives okay. that were free from artificial or ultra-processed okay. ingredients. Okay. And I think that demand is also reflected in the, you know, in the relative growth and the relative, you know, rate of growth in, you know, I guess tempeh and tofu and sort of cl- more clean meat alternative categories. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dror. Very interesting topic. You are doubling down on. You are betting on, right? It's and I say betting on because some have tried but failed. So, and you apparently are making really a path into the the grasshopper as an alternative protein right i have actually i mean it's one question but maybe you can unpack it with multiple questions so first of all it's you know you're betting on alternative protein as insects as, as alternative protein right and in harvest you're saying basically that it's a protein which is a solid functional alternative to traditional food why grasshoppers right why did you take grasshoppers right and then and then maybe tied to this question you know maybe you want to you want to add some some information around you know taste which i'm most confident there will be one of the faqs that you have you know texture aroma please take it from here Wow, um, I don't think we have enough time to explain why grasshoppers. I'll try to keep it uh, as short as possible. Let's start with the fact that 2.5 billion people across the world today, mainly in Africa, Asia, and Central America, are eating insects as part of their diet. So that's about a third of the world, world population. The most widely eaten insect in the world are grasshoppers. In many countries, they are considered a delicacy, and they enjoy very high demand and very high prices. Just to give you a number, in Saudi Arabia, grasshopper price called Jarad is $3,300 per kilogram, a little bit higher than beef. So there is an existing market, and the only problem today is supply, because supply is based on a collection in the wild, which is limited to about four weeks a year. So we have an existing market, high demand, high prices, and 11 months a year, no competition. So that, that's a good enough reason to start a business. But besides that, grasshoppers provide a few more advantages. One is superior nutritional content. The grasshopper, as it is, the animal, as you see, it contains over 70% protein, all essential amino acids, and other nutrients that are essential for us. Second thing, you ask about taste. Grasshoppers are almost neutral in taste and flavor, so it makes them the perfect ingredient. And I'm following up with what Paul said, we believe in hybrid products. 
add grasshopper protein to a sausage or a hamburger, replace a portion of the meat inside, and you get a healthier, more sustainable product, and you did not change anything in the texture, in the flavors, and consumers could just love it. And we have amazing sausages made of grasshopper protein. And so on, I, I, I can continue. Uh, we have 10 distinct advantages. I can even tell you that growing grasshoppers is more humane than any plant that you grow and eat because to grow the plants, you have to use pesticides to kill the insects that come to eat the plant. Meaning uh, you kill the insects in a nasty way. They're just being wasted in the fields and they contaminate the soil and, and the water sources. The way we grow the grasshoppers, we do not use any pesticides, any fertilizers. We use all the animals that we grow, 100% of them becomes a, a product. And even the way we harvest them is done in a humane way. We are following the recommendation of the EU, minimal harm done to animals, cold blood creatures. We just drop the temperature, they fall asleep, and then we freeze them. Now you made me really curious. I want to, I want to, I never, I never experienced. And you guys, have you ever tried something out of grasshoppers? Anybody out there? Yeah. So, um, no, not, not grasshoppers specifically, but I've tried spiders. This is back wow. before I was vegan. Um, this was like when I was like 13 or something like locusts, beetles. I was in, yeah, I, I was in Cambodia, I think just traveling around yeah. and okay. there was a, there was a little okay. hawker on the side of the street and I was like, you know what? I'm only here I once, let's go for it. <laughs> okay. That's very interesting. Well, dad, I would like to get now into the second round of questions. And, uh, I was about to say, I'm, I'm getting kind of curious um, drawer maybe we can organize to get the get a, a couple of your you know taste of what you do you know uh, over the next uh, over the next shows and, and see how, how the audience is reacting Paul I would like to pick your brain here um, in terms of uh, you know your perspective as, a, as an author you know speaker and entrepreneur you brought the book you know clean meat right and um, explore why plant proteins are increasing in popularity and what are the main uses of alternative protein right now? And what is your outlook for the next, let's say, decade or, or something like that? Paul, please take it from you. Sure. So, you know, if you look at the alternative protein market, you have what are what has been on the market for decades, which would be, first of all, products like tofu and tambe, uh, which have really been on the market for, for centuries. Then you've got products that have been on the market for decades. So these are some of the first generation plant-based meats like companies like Tofurky and so on, which were making products that at first were largely targeted toward vegetarians. They didn't necessarily taste exactly like meat, but they were kind of meaty. And as a result, you had vegetarians who could eat something that tasted somewhat like meat. Then you've got companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods who have really taken it to a next level and have tried very hard to mimic in all areas the taste and texture of meat and this is what is currently exploding in the marketplace now both between those two companies that are leading the way but also other companies that are smaller and newer and even incumbents like Morningstar Farms which has been in existence for decades now coming up with meatier so to speak products to get in on this market um, not of vegetarians but of meat consumers who simply want to have something that is better for them and better for the planet. And they're happy to not necessarily become vegetarians themselves, but every once in a while, enjoy more plant-based meat and less animal-based meat. Now, we are also seeing the rise of these hybrid products, products that combine animal and plant proteins. And so the plant-based meat market is still a tiny little fraction 
of the total meat market. So if you think about, for example, plant-based milk, it's 13% of all fluid milk that's sold in the United States today is coming from plant-based sources. But when it comes to meat, it's less than 1%, less than 1%. Whereas over 99% of meat that's being produced is still coming from animals. And so if you want to expand the plant-based space, let's say you want to expand it double or triple, that's amazing, that's a great goal to have for over the coming years, but you're still gonna be at well over 95% of meat coming from animals. And so there's a new trend to blend plant proteins directly into animal proteins that are the default products that most people buy. So as an example, Purdue Farms, which is one of the largest poultry producers in the country, makes a product called Purdue Chicken Plus. It's 50% chicken, 50% plant-based. It's chicken nuggets, chicken tenders, chicken patties. These are sold in 7,100 grocery stores. They utilize plant protein formula from my company, The Better Meat Co. And the Food Network just named it the best tasting frozen chicken nugget in America. So Food Network says the best tasting frozen chicken nugget is only 50% chicken and 50% plant-based. So that's a pretty strong endorsement of this idea of blending in that you're giving consumers something that is actually better. Yes, it's going to be better for the planet and better for animals and better for their health, but it's also just better. It's a better product from a sensory perspective as well. And in the future, we're also going to have cultivated meat. Meat that's grown from animal cells is not from animal slaughter. And those products are also going to be blended. They're too going to be blended with plant proteins for a whole host of reasons, including cost reduction. So I see the coming together of many of these areas, plant protein, animal protein, animal cell protein, and so on, all coming together to create a more diverse portfolio of protein in the future. And, and Paul, to extend on this question, are you seeing, because we talk about the future, right? Do you see the movement more coming from, from a startup perspective or do you see existing large incumbents that are basically repackaging and, and, and strategizing again uh, around this topic? Well, I think it's both right now. So you do have an explosion of startups um, like the, the three of us that are on this, uh, on this call today, but you also have the Tysons and Hormel's and, and other, and Smithfield's and other major meat companies that are releasing their own plant-based meats that are investing in cultivated meat startups you know, like companies like um, Clara Foods, which are making egg proteins without chickens, have, you know, investors like Ingredion, which is one of the biggest ingredient companies in the world. Okay. And I, I know that their CTO, Ron Shigeta, is on the call right now. He's a, a, a hero of mine and somebody who I really look up to as somebody who's been a pioneer in the space. But so you see lots of companies in the space that are either partnering with or in being invested in, or they're just having the big guys, the incumbents, as you say, who are participating in this field. But in the future, yeah, I think that you'll see a lot of the larger companies probably buying up some of the smaller companies. You'll have some that go all the way, like Beyond Meat, that go and, and create their own brand and go public. But even you know, if you look at, for example, a company like Before the Butcher, which is a cool company in Southern California, okay. and um, a large meat company, they're only two, I think they're only two years old, and a large meat company already bought a majority interest in their company. Okay. So I okay. do think you're gonna see more okay. Consolidation bigger players. So for all the entrepreneurs out there, that's the moment to start a startup, right? And position, verticalize yourself because there is a lot of needs from big incumbents to uh, enter this market. Chris, a question for you related also 
to the times that we are in, which is, you know, the crisis, COVID-19, right, which is affecting um, the meat alternative market, uh, what will change coming out of the pandemic? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, um, I, I feel like if I knew exactly what was going to happen after COVID, I'd be, I wouldn't be here. I'd be sitting on a yacht, sort of suntanning in um, the Mediterranean. Uh, but my personal take, and based on what we've seen, um, you know, we've seen, we're seeing tremendous growth in the plant-based protein alternative uh, segment in the U.S. and as well here in the U.K., you know, in terms of how the whole category has grown relative to other categories and supermarket chains, it's, it's looking really, really positive. I think, if anything, what COVID-19 has done is really highlighted the, you know, you know all the negatives that had already existed and already, you know, widely publicized about the meat, about the meat industry. And has only just made that far more, I guess, visible, right? And consumers are, are starting, are starting to, to, to take notice. So um, I think in the short term, what COVID has done is boosted um, plant-based meat sales and boosted, I guess, the profile that plant-based meat alternatives have. I think from a long-term perspective, in light of what was really happening, even before COVID, I think all of COVID has done is accelerate uh, the adoption of plant-based meat alternatives. Okay, acceleration is happening. That's awesome. We see it also in other inno innovative uh, segments. Acceleration is definitely happening because of the crisis and it's a bit of a mentality of the entrepreneur also you know when markets go down entrepreneurs come up and then basically this new opportunity right let's switch your drawer um, i was really curious uh, to pick your brain on the following i'm most confident and one of the most frequent asked question in your business is you know the yuck factor you know ah you know grasshoppers right so how do you respond to that right and uh, and what what's what's basically your your what do you tell consumers when they say mm, I don't know right? Well, of course, the act factor is supposed to be the largest challenge we have in our business. Uh, and let's say we overcome the challenge to raise money from investors to grow grasshoppers, but I think that's that's actually our advantage because when you approach a consumer and you show them these grasshoppers and you tell them that's food, that's your, the future of your protein, the emotional reaction is so strong. I really don't care if they like it or they hate it, they will never forget me. So that's a huge advantage in, in terms of marketing. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, I, I, you know, I'm just citing uh, Guy Kawasaki from Apple saying polarization is what you need in a product. So we got, that, we got plenty of that in, in grasshoppers. However, Personally, I believe that in order to overcome the act factor, what we need is to embed the grasshoppers into delicious, tasty food products, beverage, and nutritional supplements, emphasize all the health benefits and the impact or the minimal impact on the environment. And beside that, we need to focus on niches in the markets where we can identify early adopters that will be willing to try the products and even pay very high prices enjoying all the benefits that they provide. For example, athletes. And those niche markets eventually can uh, develop into mass market uh, products. And, and I can tell you that something that is really surprising for us, we did not serve the whole grasshoppers. We served a wide range of food products to consumers over the past six years. And every time they tasted the falafel or the sausages or energy bars or protein shakes, they said, well, we can't feel the grasshoppers inside. I want to try a real grasshopper now. So they were up for the challenge of trying the whole insect after they realized that it's not that scary. Interesting. 
Well, that's that's absolutely valid points that you're doing. So you say you have an energy bar. Did you say an energy bar? Let me show you. What we did here, as I mentioned, we are looking at on the energy bar. Is it something around jump further ahead? <laughs> no, no. Look, look at that. This is something completely different in terms of marketing. Let me show you. You know, when you look at niche markets, you're trying to offer consumers something that will actually make them want to try the product. And what we are doing here, we are actually using the theological story of the grasshoppers because grasshoppers appeared in the Bible, mentioned as kosher, believed to be manna from heaven. They are mentioned in the New Testament. John the Baptist used to eat locusts with honey and locusts are grasshoppers. And what we are offering is a biblical experience. Enjoy the nutrition of John the Baptist. Eat an energy bar with Israeli locusts, grasshoppers, honey, and other biblical ingredients, and you won't believe how high the demand is for such a product. And, and as I mentioned, this followed uh, with the demand for the whole grasshoppers as well. And we have many, many more products following that, such as gummies with grasshopper protein and honey and many, many others. Well, that's, uh, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And gentlemen, thank you for, for allowing us to pick your brain, to share it with other peers. And um, now we are switching gears and moving into the last part of our virtual coffee, where we would like to engage with the audience. And we have here first question coming from UCLA Alex for Paul. How can sustainable food production scale to feed the world? Paul, what do you think? You know, look, the planet is not getting any bigger, but humanity's footprint on the planet is getting bigger. And one of the principal ways that we leave that footprint is through our food print, primarily in the amount of meat that we eat. And so we cannot continue scaling up the current methods of producing protein for people because we don't have any more planet. We're not going to, you know, start farming the moon or Mars or anything else anytime soon. So we don't have anywhere else to go right now. And so the question, in my view, is not necessarily how can the conventional protein market today sustainably scale up, because the only way they're going to scale up is through deforesting more, uh, mm -hmm. cutting down the remainder of the Amazon rainforest, for example. And we don't have the capacity to do that. So the real way to feed humanity sustainably into the future is to shift away from raising billions and billions and billions of animals for food and going to these far, far less resource intensive types of protein production like what we're talking about here today. And admittedly, that's not going to happen overnight. Um, you know, tempeh as an example, you know, with Chris's product, which I've tasted and is fantastic. I'm a huge tempeh consumer myself. I'm part of that tiny little fraction of people. I eat way more tempeh than I do plant-based meat. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, Chris, Light Life makes a really great tempeh. So if you guys can outcompete Light Life, you're going to be getting my business and wife's business very strongly. So anyway, point is, you know, that's not going to scale up overnight. You're not going to go from tempeh being, you know, less than a tenth of percent of protein today to being, you know, 5% of protein tomorrow. But you are going to see increases in this and it will gradually continue to cannibalize that protein market so that it's not just growing billions of animals for food anymore. And so it is a challenge to figure out how to scale these small scale technologies and to make them incumbent. But that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited that companies like Clara Foods are partnering with Ingredion or Perfect Day is partnering with ADM and other types of partnerships between these startups and large companies because who better to scale up these sustainable proteins than the folks who are already huge today? 
So I'm in favor of that type of a collaboration between the big players and the smaller players to help the big players do better and help them shift from a model, for example, like Canon, which used to be all about print film and now is a major digital camera manufacturer. They're still producing memories for us. They're still getting photographs for us, but it's just a very different way of producing memories. No longer are we relying on film and instead we're using uh, digital. And these protein companies can continue being protein companies. They just don't have to rely on the same outdated and archaic methods of, of animal protein production that they've been relying on for the last decades. Paul, thank you so much. Christopher, do you wanna add anything to that? Absolutely. I think uh, what Paul said is, is absolutely correct. Uh, the big question is how do you scale up? Meaning it's not only a challenge how to grow a grasshopper, you have to think how you can scale up and actually be able to feed the world. So that's part of the challenges that startups face. And I also agree that collaboration with uh, the large companies uh, will help us get to the part that we can serve more than 0.1% of, of the global uh, protein consumption. Excellent. Anything you would like to add uh, to Chris? Any thoughts? Yes, no? No thoughts that have already been you know, expressed, but you know, if we, if we were to think about it in terms of the, like, you know, if we were to look at how inefficient meat production is compared to how efficient insect cultivation or cell ag cultivation or plant-based meat production is in relation, that is the only way we'd be able to feed you know, our growing, you know, I guess, food footprint. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Let me switch gears here to John, this time from San Francisco, so a local. If we are to live up to customer expectation concerning nutritional benefits, we will need to look into protein blends. So the question is about protein blends. Do plant-based proteins require blending to provide a complete nutrition profile? Chris, that's for you. Chris, would you like to answer that? Yeah, I mean, so from in terms of a nutritional standpoint, if we were to look at tempeh specifically, as you know, it's the, what, what we leverage, the fermentation process that we leverage at Better Nature, tempeh is itself a complete source of nutrition and has about 20 grams. So our tempeh has about 20 grams of protein per 100, which puts it on par with smoked mackerel or smoked cod, double that of eggs. So from a nutritional standpoint, it's no problem. And I think if you were to speak to any of the other speakers here, they'll tell you that you can get the same, if not better nutritional profiles by leveraging plant-based or insect-based or cell ag-based proteins, specifically because you can engineer Right? You can engineer the products in a far deeper, far more, far more like, yeah, technical way than you can do with a, with a live animal. You know, there's, there's only so much you can do in terms of breeding right, or selective breeding, whereas with, with the technologies that we're all leveraging here, as, as you know, all the speakers here are leveraging, we can specifically engineer, we can specifically highlight or reduce certain, you know, I guess, nutritional, yeah, nutritional compounds that we want in the RN products. Just to supplement what, what Chris is saying, well, I'll very briefly just say, you know, most people are fiber deficient. Most people are not protein deficient. Most of the people you know in, in the developed world. And so meat has no fiber in it. Plant-based foods generally do have fiber in them. And so yes, protein is very important, but neither you nor anybody you know is protein deficient. We're probably you and nearly everybody you know is fiber deficient. 
because in, in the developed world, you have rates of fiber deficiency that are often over 90%. And so it's important to think about things like protein, but I think we should focus on where the bigger problem is, which is a lack of fiber in people's diets, especially in the United States. And one of the easiest ways to get more fiber, which is associated with much lower rates of all types of diseases of affluence, is simply to eat a more plant-based diet. Awesome, we could hear it clearly. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm curious also to hear uh, your perspective, Joru. Uh, the question was about uh, blending nut uh, uh, nutritional, um, to get more nutritional profiles, right? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, blending with, with, with insect, is this something you guys are, are, are thinking of? Or what's your perspective on it? Well, I think Christopher mentioned it uh, exactly as we see it. It doesn't matter how much you can improve the beef it will never get to a level that you are of uh, nutrient content as uh, the alternative proteins we are discussing. For example, in our grasshoppers, you have three times more protein than existing animals, than, than the, the animals you eat today, even four times more. So it does, you, you can't get to that level. It's so much more efficient to produce it. It is being better absorbed by our bodies. So these new alternative protein sources provide us an amazing uh, opportunity to improve the health of, of the population. Awesome. Thank you so much, well, gentlemen, for uh, joining us on this, on this virtual party. And with that, I have actually here a last question to you, to, the, to our panelists, um, Chris, Dror, and, and Paul, which is around um, source of information, meaning where do you get I stop it here. Where do you get your information, your inspiration? It could be a blog, a podcast, a book, right? That is around innovation insights, right? That you would like to share here with the audience. A really quick answer, maybe, you know, the name of the podcast or the book that you would like to, to share. Maybe we start with George. George. Actually, we have uh, a, a podcast in Israel following history, and you won't believe how much startups and innovation is coming out of that podcast and what's the name Dror? following history following history okay thank you Dror. following history chris what, what what's a source of information regarding innovation for you yeah um so i listen to the plot-based business podcast it's Plot published by yeah it's uh it's published by a company called devolution they're based here in london and they interview some of the leading vegan startups so, for example, they, they interviewed Tof uh, Seth Tibbet, the founder of Tofurky, quite recently. And, and, and it's, just, it's just great to hear their stories about how they've overcome adversity and how they've constantly innovated throughout, throughout the ages. Nothing can replace lessons learned, right? It's always awesome to listen to that. Well, awesome. And, and Paul, what, uh, what's your source of uh, inspiration? Uh, two things, Tommaso. So first, um, I am very uh, privileged to be able to host the Business for Good podcast in which I interview startups and business titans alike about their stories and how they have overcome obstacles, built resilience, and created successful companies. So just by listening to them and, and helping them tell their stories on that platform on the Business for Good podcast has been very useful for me. But I also really love How I Built This, which is an NPR podcast where they interview yep. uh, successful companies and they tell their stories. And I find much more use in listening to people who have actually been on the field and played and won than I do in just reading business books that just give you, you know, ideas. Like, you know, the, the things I'm interested in are talking and listening to the people who have actually done it. And uh, that has been extremely useful for me. So in addition to that podcast, um, I also have benefited immensely 
from just talking to the community of entrepreneurs in the alternative protein space, which really, in my experience, so many of the people in that space don't view themselves as competitors with one another, but really as a community of collaborators trying to do the same thing. And so in my own journey with the Better Meat Co in the last two years since co-founding it, we have been helped by so many other startups in the space who have been so generous with their time and their insights to help us figure out just the basics of running a business, let alone actually trying to succeed. So I'm grateful to so many of the startups in the space that have offered their wisdom to us. Well, and I love really your final words, right? Which is collaboration. I think if, if the collaboration between corporation, governments and startup uh, would increase, work, work, uh, would work uh, in, a, in a smoother way, we could create more impact more and do more together. So I really love it. And with that, I would like to thank you so much, Roar, Paul, Chris, joining us on this uh, virtual coffee. It was really a pleasure. And I always like to round up and wrap up the episode with my quote that I learned to craft over the last 20 years for startups, which is never forget where you come from because it keeps you humble and humbleness is important. But where you come from cannot limit you where you wanna go. So let's innovate together. Thank you so much, guys. See you next time. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Bye.